have uh, some scripture readings today, and they come from a couple of prophets, or the prophets' voices. And so we're going to begin with Zephaniah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, or not, not 1 through 14, 14 through 20. And it reads, Rejoice, daughter Zion! Shout, Israel! Rejoice and exult with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem! The Lord has removed your judgment. He has turned away your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is in your midst. You will no longer fear evil. On that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Don't fear Zion. Don't let your hands fall. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior bringing victory. He will create calm with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you those worried about the appointed feasts. They have been a burden for her, a reproach. Watch what I'm about to do to all your oppressors at that time. I will deliver the lame. I will gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise and fame throughout the earth. At that time, I will bring all of you back at the time when I gather you. I will give you fame and praise among all the neighboring peoples, when I restore your possessions and you can see them, says the Lord. And from Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. Then John said to the crowds who came to be baptized by him, You children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. The crowds asked him, what then should we do? He answered, whoever has two shirts must share with one who has none. And whoever has food must do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. They said to him, Teacher, what should we do? He replied, Collect no more than you are authorized to collect. Soldiers asked, What about us? What should we do? He answered, Don't cheat or harass anyone and be satisfied with your pay. The people were filled with expectation, and everyone wondered whether John might be the Christ. John replied to them all, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than me is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husks is in his hands. He will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into the barn, but he will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out. With many other words, John appealed to them, proclaiming good news to the people. The word of God for the people of God, and let us say together, thanks be to God. Please pray with me and please pray for me. Almighty God, I thank you for the opportunity once again to be here, to be alive, to breathe, to encounter your word, to open our souls, to listen for the Spirit's guidance. I ask that you use this time to ignite a fire within, that we experience that holy fire, 
that we awaken to something new, that it may be your words and message that are heard despite my words, that it may be your voice that we hear despite ourselves. And may my words, may all of our meditations be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Week three of Advent. As a kid, that was such a great sight. Three candles, three of the four. We're almost there. But we're not there yet, are we? We're preparing the way for the comings of Jesus Christ, and we've been working through our Advent series celebrating those comings, the coming of the birth, the coming that is to come, fun sentence, and the comings that we experience in the here and now. Some of you have even experienced the comings of Christ in your own lives. Any hands? I mean, come on, if you've experienced Christ, you go, yep. Come on, you've experienced Christ? There they are, there they are. We, we are gifted in such a unique gift to have the Spirit, to have the presence of Jesus, the presence of God within us. So we're preparing the way, and it's a good thing for us to revisit every single year. We don't just tell the story so that we can be prepared to open presents again. We tell the story to remember that the birth of Christ happens again and again if we only but let it. So week one, we talked about stand. And in the midst of the chaos of the world, we as the church can stand confidently because we know how the story ends. And then last week, we talked about refining because we're so confident in how the story ends. We're so confident in God's goodness in our lives that we are willing to walk straight into the fire of the Holy Spirit, that all that doesn't belong may be burned away, that the husks of our lives may be removed and thrown out, that we may be fruitful in ways we never dreamed possible. Does it hurt? It hurts to have things burned away. Is it going to be good and produce good and lead you into a life beyond your imagination? Yes. And so we stand and we walk. And today, the word is do. Now, I want you to close your eyes, and I'm going to try to paint the picture of the biblical world here as best I can. I want you to imagine a world where your tribe, your group, your nation is saturated by strangers. Everywhere you look are people that aren't a part of your group and tribe. You struggle to find work because your fields are no longer yours. They've been taken. The leader of this oppressive nation that's saturated your land with strangers demands taxes from your king. And your king, to pay those taxes, demands taxes from tax collectors and actually asks for a little more so that after paying Caesar tax, the king can keep some for himself. And the tax collectors go to collect that tax from you, but so that they can pay the king and maybe have a little left over, they tax you more than they need. So you are taxed three times. Where, despite the shortage of food and water, at any time you may look up to see soldiers entering your town to march through your village and demand what you have. Food, clothing, sons, daughters. Where you have become a joke to those who exercise their power and greed over you. You may begin to wonder about the God of your land who claims to be in control. Or you may begin to wonder, God, where are you? Open your eyes before you go to sleep. You can open your eyes now. Some people aren't opening them. I've already put them to sleep. Okay. You're imagining the world of both Zephaniah and John the Baptist, even though they're 700 years apart. And 
Zephaniah and John announce good news. How's that sit with you as a citizen of this land? Now, Zephaniah, he says rejoice. We read the tail end of his book, but the whole beginning of the book is talking about all the terrible things that are happening. In Zephaniah's world, Israel is about to be conquered and exiled, about to be destroyed and had their identity taken from them by Babylon. And Zephaniah says, rejoice, Israel. That's strange news, is it not? Rejoice in what exactly, Zephaniah? Rejoice in that God is faithful and that you may be entering into terrible times, a nightmare on earth. But one day you will sing in joy because your disaster will be removed, your oppressors will be dealt with, all who have been humbled, made lame, and outcast shall be gathered together. Shame will be turned into praise by all nations. Israel, the laughing stock, will be made renowned with praise among all the people of the earth. No doubt a difficult song for them to sing and rejoice over in the moment. Yes? But God promises that all will be done. And how do we speak of Israel today in our world? Do you think good things about Israel? Would you say Israel's a holy place? What kind of things do you say about the country of Babylon? You're like, uh, it doesn't exist. It ceased to exist about 100 years after this was written. Israel stands today. Babylon does not. God is faithful. And I think sometimes we underestimate that. God is also just. Those who live by the way of God, the just ways, they endure. Those who don't are destroyed. We've seen it. For John, the oppressor in his day is Rome and his own king Herod and all the people that are arguing with each other in Israel. This, this may be a stretch for you to imagine this sight. But I want you to imagine in your own land, in your own nation, various groups of people all blaming each other for the problems. Sadducees, the leaders of the temple, they blamed people for not being more devoted to the temple. Now, when you devoted yourself to the temple and you gave them money, it went into the pockets of the Sadducees. So naturally, them saying, you need to be more devoted to the temple, you could see kind of served a little greedy purpose there. The Pharisees, some of them, they blamed those who did not follow the purity code in Leviticus in our scripture, every single code, which said you can't wear clothing with two types of, two types of, uh, gosh, I can't even think, two types of fabric, thread, however you want to say it. Look at your shirts. You're all breaking the code. And they said it's the sinner's fault that we're in this situation. Zealots, they blamed Israel's leadership. God's with us. We're God's people. Let's pick up the sword. Let's fight because God is on our side. And so they did, and many of them got killed. Essenes, another group that said, all this is messed up. We're going out into the desert all by ourselves. We're just going to do our ritual thing. We're going to write. We're going to transcribe, and we're going to wait until the Messiah comes to lead us into war. All these groups pointing the finger at each other. It's your fault. It's your fault. You're the reason. You're the reason. Does this sound familiar? Yeah. Uh, finger pointing, complaining, condemning, and anger. Does it feel familiar? If I went through your Facebook feed, your Twitter feed, would I see any of this? John, also a man of the desert, responded. But he didn't respond with 
this. He responded with, come, an invitation. An invitation to repentance. And he said, prepare the way of the Lord. Come to repentance. Which means a humble obedience. Come and submit yourself in humble obedience to God. For John, blaming does nothing. As opposed to us, right? Blaming solves all the world's problems, right? When's the last time you blamed somebody and they said, okay, you're right, I'm going to change everything. Changed my life when I got blamed. No. John offered invitation. Now, did you know blaming is just another word for accusing? And we like to accuse, don't we? If we accuse, we set ourselves in the right. And there's some comfort in that. We're honest. Yeah. The word for accusing, for accuser in the scripture is Satan. And John wants no part of the way of Satan. Rather, John wants to invite people to be made clean to humble themselves, to step out of their identity and the world as they've known it, to experience something new, to say maybe even in my life and all that I think I know and have been taught, maybe I need to be cleaned of it. Maybe God has something else in mind. And people responded. John lived it. He lived out in the desert. He wore camel's hair. He didn't eat much. And he invited and people responded. And that's the the miracle. People responded. Would you respond to this Sorry, we'd call him a nut, wouldn't we? Guy wearing camel hair and a leather belt eating bugs. Would you go out and meet with him? But people did. Why? In our text, we find all sorts of people coming. The crowds came, common people. Tax collectors came, those who worked and benefited from the system. Soldiers came, those who fought to keep the system in place. All came out and said, what shall we do? Because even the soldiers are tired of the oppressive system. Even the tax collectors are sick of the system that seeks to exploit. Even those oppressors, they're victims of a system. And John says to all of them, come. Now they all ask, what should we do? What should we do? What should we do? And he responds with different answers, seemingly. All with the same undercurrent. Basically, I think he says, share, keep no more than you need, be fair, treat one another with care, and be honest. So for the crowds, what should we do? He says, hey, if you have two shirts, give one away. If you have more food than you need, then give some to some who's lacking, who's hungry. For the tax collectors, collect no more than you are authorized to. Don't exploit the opportunity to gain dishonestly just because the system says you can. The soldiers, what should we do? He said, don't cheat or harass anybody. Yes, you have power over them, but use it responsibly. Be satisfied with your pay. We could all probably hear that one again and again a few times. Be fair, care for others, be honest. Or as Jesus might say, love your neighbor as yourself, because you never know when you're going to be the one lacking. You never know when it's going to be you in the position that could be taken advantage of dishonestly. And you never know when it is that your superiority will no longer be and people will have say so over you. And how would you want to be treated? Pretty simple. John says, and in the midst of the chaos and the impression and all that's happening, judgment day is coming. God is faithful. It will all be set to rights. Live now by God's way and trust.
we're in a different world than our prophets. Uh, there are haves and have-nots in our world, yes. There is an imbalance of power and privilege, yes. There are those who consider themselves over and above others, even in the church. And instead of pointing fingers and blaming, let's change ourselves as living proof to show the good news. Not by what we say, but by what we do, how we live, how we understand possessions and power and influence. We are called to repent from the ways of this world, and we're called to repent from the systems which perpetuate inequality. And we're called to repent of any and all systems which oppress anybody in any way. John Wesley might say, do no harm and do all the good you can. We are called to rejoice for the good news in the midst of our world. And again, I say, rejoice. We're called to rejoice in the coming justice. We're called to rejoice in the victory already won. And we're called to do, to actively live our lives, showing our repentance and rejoicing side by side, hand in hand, because that's the way we're called to live. Our excess, it means nothing in the light of the coming kingdom. Our power and influence, when God comes, it's not going to mean much. Our ability to rule over others, that'll be gone. So why are we living in it if it means nothing in the kingdom of God? Are we citizens of the kingdom or are we citizens of something else? And that's something we need to think through in this time of Advent. And we know that any other system of any other way leads only to one place, destruction. Because they all have fallen and they will all continue to fall. So why are, why are we still a part of them? I'm, I'm just as guilty. I benefit. I privilege. There are many things I don't have to deal with that some of you do. Just because I'm a male. Just because of the pigmentation of my skin. Just because of sexuality. Just because of my Christianity in a world, in a nation, that doesn't paint me up as, as hateful and a terrorist. I, I benefit. And I have to think through, what does it mean for me to do the will of God in my world? The invitation of John is to look beyond the world as we know it, beyond how it was taught to me and how it was taught to you, beyond the systems which you have been raised to praise and to see all the people, all of them, to have humility, that we might be obedient to God and God alone, to have compassion, to take the time to see something from someone else's perspective. And we can all do this. Be gentle and generous to bring balance to the imbalance of our world in whatever way you're called to do it. And I, could, I, could, I feel pretty confident that you can all think of some situation at your work, in your home, on your street, that you think that could be done better. And God may be saying, do, do. And we can be confident in this because we serve a God who's loving and who's faithful. If you have access, give to someone. And not just financially, although that may be the case. Spiritually, emotionally. If someone's down, depressed, upset, stop and say, can I, can I be here with you? Can I understand your story? Can I share love with you? Because see the people hurting and offer 
the care for them that Christ offered for us. Paul said, we were yet but sinners when Christ died for us. And this was proof of God's love. Before we ever even knew about God, God gave all God could give as a sacrifice to say, I love you, and I'm going to do everything that needs to be done for you, even when you tell me no to my face. That's God's love. So seek out the opportunities, not because the person you're going to help believes what you believe. That's not how God worked. You just love, even when they're yet sinners. That's the word you want to use. Love them because of what you believe. This way of life is the only way to live, Jesus goes on to say. Amen? So my friends, may the Holy Spirit that burns within us ignite our hearts on fire with justice and compassion and grace and generosity that we may care for others in the way that we would want to be cared for, that we be honest with others the way that we want people to be honest with us, that others would be so giving and offering of themselves in the way that we want to be offering and giving to other people that we just do. And may the holy fire burn away all in you that does not belong, and may you rejoice while you repent, because we serve Jesus Christ, who brings the ultimate good news into our lives and the glory of God. Go and do for his glory. Amen? Amen. Amen.